One Hope Church. Good morning. Happy New Year. The first Sunday of the new year is today. It's now 2020, so we have to get used to that. have to get used to writing 2020 on things instead of 2019. That always takes me till about early February to get that... Yes, it can, it can happen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough year for people who, who struggle with um, the order of letters and dyslexia. Yeah, it's going to be a little tough, a little tough. But extra prayers. So this morning, um, we'll talk about the theme of, of overcoming. Um, it'll be a little bit of an introduction to John. We're not full-fledged um, into our new um, book study. You know, our college students will be coming back. Um, here this week and others, so we want to give just a little time um, to get settled. But um, do you just want to talk about this theme this morning, from largely from from John, both in John and First John, because the reality is that it's a new year, but it's the same war. The war hadn't changed. We're still in a spiritual war. Um, there's still battles to be fought day by day. Um, so the reality is that you and I and collectively, you know, we are either overcoming or we are being overcome. That is your reality. That is my reality. Day by day, day by day, you are in a battle, you are in a war, and you are either overcoming and having victory or you are losing. That's it. You know, and, and we need to grab a hold of that because I think oftentimes we get complacent and we forget that we're in a war. We forget it because in some ways it's like we can be too comfortable and things can be too easy. And if there's not enough adversity, we can get complacent and think we're not actually in a war. Now you realize you're in a war when you get a spiritual attack and get knocked on your tail, or there's a, you know, a really negative um, event that happens, then, oh, oh, in a war, I better, I better pray, I better seek God, I better do... But listen, folks, we are in a war day by day. Now, we'll also say an, an enemy who doesn't realize he's at war isn't too hard to defeat. If you don't think you're at war... The enemy's already kicking your tail. If you're like, well, I'm not really at war. Well, then the, the enemy is, I, I mean, pretty much guaranteed, the, the enemy is already kicking your tail. It's just a, it's a deceptive, you know, war. It's a sneak attack, you know, sort of thing. But you're so vulnerable. If you don't realize you're at war, you are so vulnerable. Because when people are at war, they are vigilant and diligent and they prepare for battle. All right, so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read about this in, in the book of John and 1 John. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We're thankful that though we are in a war, we have not been left alone. We have not been abandoned. That Jesus, you promised your disciples that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. And we are thankful that there is victory in your name. But Lord, please help us not to grow complacent. Please help us not to take lightly the reality that this is a spiritual war that we are in day by day. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I just want to read the first five verses um, of the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, as you read 1 John, it's very clear that Word is Christ. You know, Jesus is the, is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, full deity of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. Just again, that first verse, yeah, it's so important. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, and if you don't have that, you're immediately in a false religion. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, their translation there says, and the Word was a God, little g. And it's sad, you know, because I, I think in the last few days I, I've seen them with their, their books and their stands by the arch downtown, by the grill, by other, other, other corners, other places. And they're working so hard to tell people about a tiny Jesus that's not fully who he is, that's not actually who he is. Just a God, a little G. Um, and, it, and that's terribly sad. And that's terribly sad, but the word was God, is God. Um, he says he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything we see in our world today is because of, of Christ. You know, the word made flesh. God spoke and creation happened. Christ is the active agent. Colossians 1 tells us, you know, that basically in him all things exist, that he holds it all together. And, you know, he, it's, it's amazing, but if you, if you think about it in this way, but, you know, Christ um, is the ultimate law of physics and the ultimate law of the universe. He holds it all together. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not over did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the light shines in the darkness. I mean think back to creation and God spoke and there was there was light. The darkness did not comprehend it, or the darkness did not overcome it, depending on what translation you're using this morning, um, kind of prefers one or, or the other. Um, comprehend it might be a little bit more common. It's, it's definitely that Greek word you can, tr- can be translated to overcome. It's also possible that John um, is using the word specifically to give the reader both concepts. Um, because both concepts are, are in his writings. Um, so in one sense, the darkness did not comprehend it. We'll talk about that. And in another sense, the darkness um, did not overcome it. So we'll talk about the comprehend side of it first, and then we'll talk about the overcome side. Um, John three nineteen through 21. Um, you know, John three sixteen is the most famous you know, verse of Scripture. Um, but it's still amazing today that so many people have no idea what that is or what it says. They may see a sign at a ball game and still, you know, not not know. Um, you know, John, it's and it's and it's interesting. I mean, and what I say by that, uh, just thinking back to a, a story. If you remember when Tim Tebow was playing football and, and he was playing for our rival, the Florida, the Florida Gators. And we don't like the Gators, but we like some Tim Devo. And he had, um, you know, on a, on a championship game, he, on his, um, what, what do they call it stuff, the, the dark ink, you know, or whatever they put on their, on their eyes. So he, he, he had that on his, on his face. And um, let me see if I can adjust this one. So, maybe not. We'll just go with it. Um, and he had John three sixteen there, and that was like led all the Google searches that day by a long shot. What's amazing is that people had to Google search it 
to understand, like, what is this guy, what is this football player have underneath his eyes? This is the United States of America. You know, you're not talking about some, you know, remote part of the world that, that, you know, hasn't had a missionary go to a particular tribe. There are very few of those left. You're not talking about that. You're talking about the United States of America. And you had, I mean, people are using Google all the time and stuff trends, right? And you had enough people had to search and say, what does that mean? What does that say? What is JN.316? That shouldn't be the case. I mean, even if people don't believe it or accept it, it should still be like, well, we know he has John 3.16 because that verse is the one that talks about Jesus being sent from God. Those who believe in him have eternal life. Like, they should have heard it and know it because we have enough people in this country who claim to be followers of Jesus that if each one told a couple what that verse meant, then everybody would know what that verse meant, right? So what does that tell us? It tells us a few things. It certainly tells us that this nation is not as quote-unquote Christian as some would lead you to believe. And it also tells us that a lot of people who are true followers of Jesus don't talk about John 3.16 very much at work and at school and at play. So, that's a problem. That's a problem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has everlasting life. It's a great promise of God. But the verses that follow through 21 are also really, really important. People need to know those as well. When we read verse 19, it says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Paul talks about this, about how you know those who are believers are a sweet aroma to those who are being saved. They are in the you know people who are in the process of being saved, who are you know curious, who are interested, who want to know more. The followers of Jesus are an, a sweet aroma of life. But to those who are consistently and constantly you know, rejecting God, that same believer is the stench of death. We're the same, but how somebody reacts to you can largely depend on which way they're going, toward Christ or away from Christ. Talking about people who don't know Jesus yet, who are unbelievers, they're moving toward Christ. That's attractive. I want to be closer to you and to know what you're saying. To those who are rejecting Christ, oh, that's bad. I want to get away from that. That stinks. So you stink to some people. It has nothing to do with your BO. You might actually, I mean, sometimes we might actually stink, depending. But spiritually speaking, you smell good to some and you stink to others. It's a reality. Like, man. So you can't, I mean, and, and this is a problem. A lot of times in the war, you know, we want to try to be Switzerland. You know, we want to try to be neutral. But in the spiritual battle, we can't be neutral. We cannot be neutral. But this is that the darkness not comprehending, darkness that wants to stay darkness doesn't comprehend how much they need the light and how good the light is. See, this lack of understanding is based on the desire for evil. And what happened in the Old Testament is the same thing that we see in the Old Testament in Israel is the same thing we see happening today in our culture. See, in Israel, what people started doing is they started calling evil things good. And they started calling good things evil. 
They reversed it. Derek and I were talking about having this discussion earlier this week. They reversed it so that they could have the moral high ground, so that evil can have the quote-unquote moral high ground to look, point at those who are doing good and say, you're bad. Does that sound familiar today? So you have all this evil in the world, all these things that are being you know, pushed in the, the current ag- cultural agenda that are evil, that are being called good, and if you say that's not good, then you are called bad. You are called hateful, spiteful, stuck in the past. Just one example from this week in the, in the news. Um, you know, we like comics. I mean, we all like you know, comics as kids. Like com- Most people like comics. Lots of people like comics. So Marvel announced this week that they're introducing new lesbian and transgender superheroes in the very near future. So, you know, that's calling something that the scripture says is sinful is wrong, is against God's design and order. And not the world isn't just saying, hey, just leave us alone and let us do our thing. The, evil, the world is saying, this is good, this is a high, important cultural value, and you and your children need to support this, encourage this, Promote this, and if you don't, you're hateful, you're spiteful, you're, you are bad. You're a bad person. You're a bad human. And you don't believe in freedom and things like You see, the language gets twisted. Now, listen, folks, we shouldn't be surprised at that. Like, that should not be shocking it really shouldn't be. Because the enemy is not content to leave children alone. You know, the kingdom of darkness doesn't care, doesn't care about the age of its victims. It really doesn't. Kingdom of darkness does not care. The kingdom of darkness actually gets a particular pleasure out of destroying the most vulnerable. The enemy doesn't care. As long as destruction takes place, it doesn't care whether it's through a physical war or through a famine or through being trafficked or being raised by parents who are slaves to darkness or being raised by parents who acquiesce to darkness. The enemy doesn't care how that happens doesn't care if you if your child is destroyed by war, famine, or entertainment. See, the enemy doesn't care as long as the moral, spiritual corruption takes place. A physical bomb drops on your child, and your child is destroyed, or your child is entertained into wrong ideas and sinful mindsets, the enemy doesn't really have a preference as long as your child is destroyed. And that's where we have to be diligent. Now, I'm not suggesting that we wrap our children in bubble wrap and we, you know, set them in a safe place which is away from anyone else. (laughs) Okay? I'm not suggesting that because our children have to grow up and they have to learn how to navigate the world that they're going to be entering, you know, that they are in and are more fully entering in as they are older. They need to grow up to be able to be salt and light. But we have, as their parents, do have responsibility for the quantity of what they're exposed to, the quality of what they're exposed to, and at what age they are exposed to. 
Some of that is in our control. Some of it is not in our control. I mean, there, there were things I was exposed to, you know, that, you know, when I was 12, 13, whatever, 14, 15 years old, my, that my parents had no idea of and that they would have been horrified at, right? They had not any control over that. But I'm talking about, right, this morning, the, what we do have control over. And we have more control over than we think or say that we have as well. So let's not act just like we're victims of a corrupt world. You know, the, the, the thing is, how do we fight back? Well, we have to be careful about what we do have control of. And not just in terms of, of, of shielding from the negative, we have to fill our children with light. And with life, and with what is good, our, our children shouldn't just be sitting over in the corner bored to death. You know, we have a responsibility to put into their their hands what is what is profitable for their edification, for their encouragement in Jesus, and to do so in a way that is engaging for them. When it came to the, you know. Church, like there were particular, you know, and it's interesting. Like I, I have particular Sunday school teachers who who engaged, um, you know, in a really powerful and and wonderful way. And I also spent some years just going, "Whoo, this is boring. This is boring." You know, so we want to avoid that. And as our kids get a little bit older, we want to avoid that. You know, we don't want them to associate with boring. But so we have, you know, responsibility because you read the scripture, it's not boring. You know, we might be boring in how we tell it. We might be boring people. You know, but the scripture is not boring. Okay? So, you know, if there's some boredom creeping in there, it's not the scripture's fault. We have to do a better job of how we're engaging with the scripture. So, please remember this year... And when I say our children, I mean our children. Like, you know, we are collectively, we all have a role to play in that. That we have to remember that just because they are not, as far as we know today, in imminent danger of bombs or famine, doesn't mean there isn't a threat to them. And we need to have a spiritual mentality we need to have a spiritual mentality of we're going to fight for their good because we'll fight for our kids about different things you know in life but more than anything we need to fight for them spiritually more than anything we have to fight for them spiritually we'll fight over you know, their academic outcomes, their athletic outcomes, their social outcomes. But more than anything else, we have to fight and put them in a position to win the spiritual war that is over their lives. Either they will overcome or they will be overcome. One of the two. One of those two things will happen. They will overcome, or they will be overcome. We cannot guarantee their, their victory in Jesus. But we can set them up for success, or we can set them up for failure. That we can do. That is in our power. The enemy does not hesitate to shoot fiery arrows at children. And it's an onslaught in our culture today in so many different ways. You look at the complete, not the complete, but in, in, in certain areas, the, just the, the breakdown of the family and all the destruction that is wrought from that. It's an onslaught on children. 
the enemy has taken dead aim. And we have to be careful. Now, all that being said, check out John 16.33. John 16.33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So this is in the middle of, of... of Jesus's discourse, you know, his, his conversation with his disciples in the night that he's betrayed. These are awesome chapters of scripture. And before he prays for them in John 17, and, and also for us, he says this, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So here's that overcome theme. Back from John 1.5. Now, the wild thing about this is that this is before Jesus goes to the cross. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. Resurrection hasn't happened yet. Ascension hasn't happened yet. Return of the king hasn't happened yet. And he says, I have overcome. I have overcome. So that's the confidence that we can have in Jesus. Let's read that again. But these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Where do we find our peace in a war that is not going to end until Jesus returns? You know, we have in our world today, there are, there are ongoing you know, wars And some wars are very short. Some wars in our history have been very short, just a matter of days. And others have dragged on. Others drag on for decades. This war is thousands of years old. It has been going on since our first parents were in the garden. And it will continue. It does have an end. But it doesn't end until what we see at the end of the book of Revelation. So while you and I are still here, till we are taken away, the king returns, all things are made new, like all of the things in Revelation are fulfilled, until that happens, you and I are at war. So where do we find our peace in war? In the middle of the war. Where do we find our peace? In Jesus. In Jesus, we have our peace. And then he says, in the world you have tribulation. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just, you know, hang out, with, you know, spend time with me in your prayer closet, and then, you know, everything's, everything's good, everything's cool. No problems. No, in the world you have tribulation. If you don't have any tribulation... The enemy's duped you into thinking you're not at war until you get sucker punched. Or you're not a threat, not actively a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Enemy's just biding time to fire that arrow. Because Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. But take courage. It's not go into the bunker and hide out and wait it out. No, it's take courage. Take courage. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Like, victory is his. Let's read it again. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take 
courage. I have overcome the world. Like that verse should give us a lot of comfort this morning. That verse should give us a lot of comfort. And may God help us to live by that. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We're gonna go, I'll go one verse out of John, and then we'll go to 1 John. You know, sticking with the same author this morning. So Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, in our current cultural context, in, in Western culture, the first step of not being overcome by evil is to maintain proper understanding and definitions of what is good and what is evil according to God. Because there are many people today who would say, oh, you know, we're in the church. We're good. We're not being overcome by evil. Just look at what we're for and what we're against. But they've flipped the definitions. So they actually have been deceived and are deceiving themselves into thinking that they are doing good when in fact they are participating in the kingdom of darkness. So that first step for us is we have to be sure that we maintain our proper definitions of good and evil based not on what is culturally prevalent at the time, but based on what God says in his word, period. Because, you know, with the world, what was wrong in one generation will be right in another, and what was right in one will be wrong in another. So if you go based on your, your culture, you know, you're just going to flip-flop all over the place like a fish trying to get back in water. You know, flip-flop all over the place without a real foundation. It is, the culture is shifting sand. It's always going to move and change. And, 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 it, and it changes. I mean, it, it's gonna, it swings really, 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 really far in one direction. And then it'll it'll come back sometimes just because there's natural consequences to sin. And sometimes when people start really experiencing those natural consequences, they go, "Oh, wait a second, maybe we should rethink that." And they, you know, move back toward the middle or back the other way, and then that pendulum will, will start going, it'll it'll come over here into something else. It'll come over here in something else. Still not Jesus. Just another way for the enemy to deceive and to destroy. See, because what will happen a lot of times when it comes to issues of, of morality, that, that, that pendulum swings to life, like anything goes, and then there's repercussions for that, and society kind of falls apart. And then it'll, it'll swing another direction till trying to, to legislate morality in like the ultimate sense. You end up with something like Pakistan or Saudi Arabia. But does that do anything spiritually for people's lives? No. And I mean, and you can illustrate, it doesn't change people's hearts. What's the nation with the per-person highest uses of pornography in the world? United States? Canada? Some European country? Nope. Pakistan. You know, we're going to be, you know, militantly Islamic, and we're going to go and do the prayers five times a day and do all this stuff and keep Ramadan and keep the fast and do all these things. Highest per-person usage. Pornography. Do 
do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, that evil is trying to, I mean, I mean, Paul lays it out into very few words right here. A lot of times, you know, we're like, okay, Paul, the, you know, you have a, a really long, like, sentence that I've got to, you know, try to break down with all, all these phrases before and after and everything. Okay, this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Really short one. And you can imagine, like, this evil is trying to overcome, it's trying to wipe out, and we have to come back on the other side with what is truly good. How do we, how do we win? How do we win? And I think what we see in the New Testament, what we see in the book of Acts and in the letters that are written to the churches. Again, remember their context. Let me just, just for a minute, just remember their context. Jewish and Gentile believers meeting together. Jewish believers who had said, yes, Christ is the Messiah. They had to leave their, their you know, traditions and, and the old covenant and enter into the new. So they've got to go against all these traditional norms of you know, worship on the Sabbath and, and all these regulations to now coming at the Lord's table on, on Sunday and remembering Jesus and everything's changed for them. And they are looked down upon and called traitors and heretics and blasphemers. And people are looking to kill them from their own ethnicity and most of them, and they're, and they're living in a Roman Empire that is dominated by a myriad of gods. Tons of gods. And a sexual atmosphere of sin that is incredible and open. Temple prostitutes as you walk by on your way to the market. And then those who are Gentiles having left those false gods. We're going to say there's all these gods and making their sacrifices and saying their prayers and having their idols and they've thrown all of that away. They've crushed them. And, and, and those two groups now are, are, are meeting together and have to figure out how, how they are one in Christ. And at times, you know, the Roman Empire is looking at them as traitors and as a threat, you know, to the empire. And so they're being, you know, Jew and Gentile believers in Jesus are being taken to you know, coliseums and, and fed to lions. They're, they're being hung up in Nero's gardens and lit on fire as human torches. That's what they lived in. And, and those words of the apostle echo do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How did they change the world? How did they bring light into darkness? You read the book of Acts and you see it's through prayer and the preaching of the gospel. It's through prayer and it's the preaching of the gospel. That's how evil is overcome. See, they didn't overcome evil by going, you know what? Well, we're going to become great blacksmiths and we're going to make lots of swords. They didn't overcome evil by saying, you know, we're, 
where we're going to become politically powerful and, and we're going to legislate our way out of this thing. Now, before you misunderstand what I'm saying, I'm not saying there's never a place for a sword. And I'm not saying there's never a place for legislation. I believe there are places for both of those, actually. But I'm talking about with the early church had neither of those at its disposal, it grew like wildfire and changed by hearts being changed. And a lot of times when people have, you know, the power legislatively and with weapons, they end up messing things up when it comes to the message of Jesus. Again, there's a place and a time. But there's a lot of danger with that as well. There's a lot of danger with that as well. But what I'm telling, saying this morning is that the early church overcame through prayer and through preaching the gospel. So for um, some years, many years now, going to Mexico and in, in the, the city of Zongalica and just want to remind us of this this morning and how just driving in you could feel like an oppressive weight. You just feel it. You just feel darkness. It's, it's hard to describe, but you would feel darkness. And this last summer, coming in and I'm like, wait, don't feel that darkness. What's going on here? Talking to other people, you feel that dark? No, no, something's different. What's different? And asking the people there, what's different? And two things are different. One is prayer. And every two to three weeks, people from the, from the church in Zangalika pray through the night. They pray all night long. They still have jobs. They still have work to do. They still have families and kids and all those things. They pray all night long. A couple times a month. And there's more of a focus of people preaching the gospel consistently in that area. Those two things have changed the spiritual atmosphere. So what I'm sharing with us this morning, if we want victory in our city, we want victory in our homes and in our church and in our city and beyond, we have to pray. And, and we kind of just have to want to pray. And we kind of have to just pray when we don't want to pray. We just have to pray. This year is going to go based on how much we pray. And, and that's not like saying, oh, we'll have a ton more people or this, that, or the other thing. That's not what I'm saying. Just like spiritually, this year is going to go for us according to how much we pray. How much we pray, how much we're in the word, how much we preach the gospel. Those, that's going to define the year. So do not be overcome with evil by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you want to overcome this year, if you want spiritual victory, pray, be in the word, share the gospel. Like if you're doing that, like, I mean, I'm just going to assume the fellowship part. You know, that's all in there together. If you're doing those three things, you're going to be fellowshipping. That that's going to happen. You know, that that's going to be what makes the difference. And again, you know, just refer to it briefly here recently, but that research on the difference spiritually, if you have one Bible encounter a week, your life is likely going to look not much different than an unbeliever's. That's why people who just go to, you know, a church meeting 
two or three times a month on a Sunday, their lives don't usually look a whole lot different than people who do nothing. One, there's, you know, so two, there's a little better. Three, there's a little better. Four, more exponential difference. I mean, think about anything that you do. <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you don't do it often, if you don't eat physical food, you know, a couple times a week, that doesn't sound so great, right? I mean, let's just, I mean, just, just throw that out there. I mean, you know, if you want to really abuse your body, like, go this whole year and just eat, like, on, eat, you know, eat, like, Sunday lunch and, like, Wednesday lunch. Let's see how that goes for you over the course of a year. You're going to be miserable, and people will do that spiritually and be like, man, I just don't know what's going on with my life. I just don't understand why I'm not growing spiritually, why, you know, things around me kind of stink. I mean, I just, I mean, I go to church. And we'll, and we'll, we'll say that with a straight face. I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. Well, you're starving yourself to death. So we have to be really serious about that. If we're going to overcome evil with good. And, and, and the reality is for, for us and for our church, we're, we have the same weapons available to us. You know, like, we're, we're just, that the early church had. We are, we are not like this, like, you know, denominational juggernaut. You know, you got millions of people, and you can go, we want something different. I mean, we, we're just a few folks. We're trying to follow Jesus together. You know, we're not, we're not going to go and conquer a land militarily. We'll have a hard time conquering a YMCA. <laughs> like... I just, we're not going to conquer anything militarily. Like, you know, I mean, that, that's not going to happen. But what do we have at our disposal? Far better. <laughs> Sorry, people are laughing. <laughs> Charge! Why, you're going to the YMCA. Charge! No, we have nothing. Okay? Except, but we have everything. We have Jesus. We have prayer. We have the preaching of the word. So listen to what John continues to say. And John, I'll just read a few of these verses and we'll finish up this morning. I'm writing to you, John 2, 12 through 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Man, don't want to be called strong. I mean, don't you want, not from, not from a perspective of we want glory or we want, like, fame or anything like that, but don't, wouldn't, how awesome would it be if one of the apostles could, could write to you and say, I'm writing to you because you're strong in the Lord. You've overcome because the word of God abides in you. Like, because the word of God is just like, in your heart and mind all the time. Like, how awesome would it be if, if an apostle could write that truthfully to you? 1 John 4, 4. 4 through 6. 1 John 4, 4 through 6. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them, but we are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
Hear that again. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. One time here in Athens, I would say with confidence, I met someone who was demon-possessed, and you know we were sharing the gospel with that person, and their complete everything about them changed, and the voice changed, like everything changed, and it was, whoa, and he was um, speaking back to us, and, and that verse from the scripture came to mind, and I, you know, just... I kept, at a certain point, you know, I just said, you know, greater is he who is in us than he who is in you. And I just kept, like, started to repeat that. Greater is he who is in us than he is in you. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in you. And he just, like, took off running, like, down the street. I mean, he starts off a little bit slower, you know, and I'm going with him. And I can't, you know, keep saying it. And eventually, he just takes off running. Um, you know, now for context, before you know, before that, I said, you know, he said you can be freed from this evil that's within you. Um, and that's when he said, you know, no, because I like the power it gives me, and that's when everything changed. So at that point, we went from, you know, just evangelism to. You know, this is a spiritual battle, confrontation. Um, but man, we have Jesus. We have the one who's overcome the world. Like, we are, like, already victorious in his name. So, we should be the ones living in victory. We should live in victory because Jesus has already won. So again, we are not victims and we are not powerless. We, we sometimes act that way or think that way. But we have great power available to us in Jesus. Like, let's not with arrogance, not with the pride of the human flesh, walking in and saying, well, I'm big and bad and I'm going to solve this. No, but with a humble confidence we can be in any place knowing that Jesus is with us and we can speak the truth in love and have victory in his name. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We are not losers. And we don't have to live like that or act like that. We don't have to act and be these little, you know, timid Timid ones who, whenever the enemy attacks, you know, are, are, are ducking for cover underneath chairs in a spiritual, in some, again, spiritual battle, in the spiritual battle that we're in. We don't have to be the ones that just run and hide all the time. We can stand up. And you know what's going to happen sometimes when you stand up? In our culture, people are going to say ugly, mean things about you. But you know what happens when you stand up in other countries? You get thrown in prison or beheaded. I'm just, you know, we got to be real about our context. It's like somebody on social media being like, Chet is a blankety blank, blank, blank meanie. Okay. I mean, that, I don't like that. That hurts my feelings. I feel bad. I don't want to hurt anybody else's feelings. I feel terrible. Okay. I am not being strung up in a square or being beaten. Like, we just got to be a little bit, have a little bit more spiritual toughness about us. At the same time, not losing our sensitivity. I don't want you to lose your spiritual sensitivity. Because when people lose that, then that's when they're just like, okay, let's go. You know, like, and I'm just looking for fights. And we don't need that. We got too much of that already. So be kind as you disagree, even if the world has lost its 
ability, it seems, to do that. Last one, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him or begotten of him. For we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, that's implied there that faith is in Christ. But our faith in Christ is what overcomes the world. Have faith. You know, we love God. It means, this is love God that we keep his commandments. You know, Jesus said to us, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, that's the love. That's, the, that, that's, how, that's how we show God that we love God. So, and if you think about it, just even in, in terms of, of earthly terms, like, you know, for those of us with, with kids, if my kid sits there and goes, I love you, but then is intentionally and directly disobedient the next minute, and then says, I love you, and then is intentionally and directly disobedient, you're like, you're saying it, but you're not showing it, Right? You're saying it, but you're not showing it. Hey, listen, John refers to us here as, in this sense, in this spiritual sense, little children. So with God, we can say it in our prayers, we can sing it in our songs, but it means so much more when that's followed up with the consistency of obedience to what Jesus has asked us to do. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. My commandments are not burdensome. And sometimes I think we look at that and we go, but Lord, it is burdensome. It's burdensome to go and, and talk to people about Jesus. And it's, it's burdensome when, when they share all their problems. It's burdensome to, to help you know, someone who's, who's having a spiritual struggle. Lord, it, it, it's burdensome when I'm when I'm tired, and and you, I need to pray. I mean, are we honest? Have you felt that before? I certainly have. It doesn't make the scripture untrue. It just makes my heart kind of foul. That's all. <laughs> You know, in that moment when I'm feeling that, it's my heart's not in the right place. It didn't make the scripture untrue. It just gave a litmus test of where my heart was. Because my heart took like this beautiful spiritual opportunity and went, oh man, <laughs> got to do that. See, because my flesh is foul. My, my flesh is, is rotten. But the Spirit, so that, that's the litmus test. And we say, so if you read and say, the Scripture says, commandments of God are not burdens. So if we go, yes, they are. Okay, wait. Let's, let's go pray. And say, Lord, change my heart. So that I actually, I want to do your commands. And his commands are rooted on love God, love your neighbor as yourself, make disciples. So let's be about that in this new year. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for your great love for us. Help us, Lord, to not view your ways and, and your commandments as burdensome, but Lord, just to be free in you. Lord, please give us just the desire to pray and to be in your word and to share others with others about you and your great love and power. 
And as we take the bread and cup this morning, we're rem- we remember, Lord, that it was already you had already overcome. It was already as good as done, even before you were betrayed, Lord Jesus. So we just give you thanks for that confidence that we can have in you, Jesus, because you hold the universe together and you went to the cross for us. pray in the the minutes that we have left left this morning that we would humbly come to your your feet dear Jesus and please change in us what needs to change and Lord help us to love you so deeply Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray.